Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Early last month, I started a short sermon series, and because of a a little travel and uh, some other special events that are happening, um, this series has gotten broken up a little bit into disjointed pieces. We're going to pick it up today, and the title of the series is Cutting the Cord, and we're exploring a number of things that in the spiritual realm act like bungee cords hooked to our belts that keep us from moving forward. It creates tension and it pulls back against us whenever we try to move forward in our faith journey. And this morning, we're going to look at the fourth of those bungees, and that is believing lies. I couldn't have timed or scripted better the theme of believing lies that came up in Rachel's testimony because there is incredible power in a lie. I mean, even if it's not true, even if just the rumor of something is whispered, There is incredible power in a lie to shape the way that we feel about another person. I want you to think about a time when somebody lied right to your face. Just looked right at you and said something that was really not true. How did that make you feel? Think about another time when someone lied to you about another person. Someone that you cared about and you heard a lie spoken about them How did it change the way you thought about or felt about that person? See, I I think lies reveal the fact that relationships are a lot more fragile than we like to admit. It takes years and years of consistent faithfulness to build up trust, doesn't it? But it only takes one act, one moment to tear down all of that work of building trust. Trust and human relationships are so fragile. You could say, I love you, I love you, I love you to your child for 15 years and strike them one time in anger, just once. And in their hearts, what they believe is, you don't love me at all. You hate me. Now, I'm not advocating that you should get a hall pass for hitting your kid in anger. It's never okay. But that's the truth of human relationships, is that decades of faithfulness can be so easily erased by one moment, one moment of untruth or unrighteousness. Jesus once taught us that the two greatest commandments on the heart of God for us is what? It's to love God and love other people, right? Do you remember that? Somebody asked him, what is the greatest command? And Jesus, without skipping a beat, said, the two greatest commands, side by side, inseparable, are to love God and love other people. In other words, the greatest agenda or plan that God has for us is he wants to bring us closer to himself and he wants to bring us closer to other people. God is the builder and strengthener of relationships. That's his whole deal. That's what he's after all the time. So it stands to reason that his enemy has the exact opposite plan, the exact opposite agenda in every situation. In fact, if you look at John 8, 44, the second half of that verse, describing Satan, God's enemy, here's what Jesus says about him. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. If God's goal in all situations is to reconcile and to strengthen the relationships between us and him and between us and other people, then Satan's great agenda is to separate and divide people from God and from one another. God's enemy delights whenever the conflict, division, broken relationships, he loves it when people can no longer walk together. When people shout in pain and anger, I hate your guts. I will never speak to you again. You're done. I'm done. We're finished. He loves that moment because it's what he's been after. It's the exact opposite of everything God works for in our lives. And one of the main weapons that Satan uses to divide relationships is lies. There's incredible power in a lie to chop a relationship in half. In fact, it was a lie that led to the collapse of God's perfect creation. Everything that got screwed up in what we call the fall started with a lie. That lie is thankfully recorded for us in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. And it took place in a conversation between a serpent, who was, we understand it to be Satan in the form of a snake, and Eve, representing all of humankind in this encounter. And look what it says at the start of this encounter. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The most effective lies always start with a foundation of truth. There's enough language, enough conceptual agreement with something true that you get a little confused. You're like, oh, hey, hold on a second. That sounds kind of right, but sounds kind of wrong. I'm a little confused. That's the most effective kind of lie. You can't walk up to someone and go, did you know that the sky is down and the ground is up? And everyone goes, shut up, you're crazy. But when you start to, to build a lie on top of a truth, you distort that truth, it leads to a very effective lie. The truth is that God did set some limits on what man and woman could eat. He did. But what the serpent does is he wildly exaggerates those limits because he wants to cast doubt on God's goodness. We would not be free with no limits. Without any limits on our behavior, we would not want to live on this planet. I'm not very big. I don't want to live on a planet where much bigger people don't have to follow any rules, where there's no limit set. So limits are good. But the devil begins to exaggerate those limits to create the illusion that God just doesn't want us to experience certain good things. So Eve has a great reply. I got to give her credit. She did a pretty good job of refuting this serpent's lie. He says, of course. She says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, the original command is given to us in Genesis chapter 2, one, one chapter earlier, uh, verses 16 to 17. But Eve's summary is pretty close to what God originally said. Uh, good enough for government work. We're going to give her a B 
on that. She, she does a good job of saying, ah, something about what you just said doesn't sound right to me. And she replies with the truth. The serpent is not deterred in the least by Eve responding to him with the truth. And so he switches gears and he just full frontal assault. He just straight up lies now. He goes, all right, forget it. I'm done with the tricks. And he just goes, hey, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. That's just not true. It's exactly the opposite of what God said. But he couldn't get her through a side attack. So he just full frontal. Here we go. You won't die. Trust me. Now, whenever someone says, trust me, you got to pause and go, why are you telling me to trust you? Can't you just speak and I trust you? But whenever, I mean, he's basically, he's emphatic. He's going, listen, trust me, you're not going to die. And here's the truth. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be just like him, knowing both good and evil. So you see that when the when the sneaky side attack doesn't work, he comes right against you and he just flat out lies. And now Eve is a little discombobulated. It's, this is the first instance historically of what we've come to call today gaslighting. Do you know what that term gaslighting is? When you're pretty sure you know the truth, but someone is so insistent on their lies, you start going, I don't know what's true or not. I'm getting a little confused. Right? Like you're wearing sunglasses like Rachel. And I'm not wearing sunglasses. Yeah, you are. No, I don't have any sunglasses. And after all, you go, are my eyes deceiving me? Because you seem so convincing, and yet I know what I know. And when you start to lie enough in the face of truth, you can create a lot of confusion in a person. Well, that's what the serpent's doing. He's gaslighting Eve, and he's basically saying to her, what God said is not true at all. Now, here's why that, and by the way, you know that as soon as she gave in to that lie, the immediate result was that she and Adam hid from one another, and they both hid away from God. The moment she believed the lie and acted on it, the first result was broken relationship between her and her husband, and then between both of them and God. These were the two most important life-giving relationships that they had, and immediately in one decision— and the seduction of one lie, those two most important relationships were shattered in an instant. Just like that. That's the power of a lie to destroy relationships and families and faith. And the reason that that lie worked was because the serpent lied to Eve on two levels. Now catch this, okay? He lied to her on one level about her own condition. He told her a lie about her. And here's the truth, okay? The truth is she lived in a garden paradise, free and naked as a jaybird. I really regret the fall because I think it would be awesome to walk around naked without shame. I know that makes you, but just the freedom of just not worrying about what to wear, running through the the fields and just think about that. To not have to hide away from anybody, to be shameless in a good way. She had all that. She lived in a garden paradise with delicious, beautiful fruit, none of it rotten. She didn't have to take a paring knife and cut out the little wormholes in her apples. Everything was perfect. That's what she had. She had a perfect relationship with her husband. She had a perfect relationship with all of creation. And she had a perfect relationship with God. And yet, the lie implied to her, you're still missing something. Yeah, I know you think you have everything, but there's something really important that God's withheld from you. 
You deserve this, and he doesn't want you to have it. You are in need. You're missing something. That's one of the most common lies we buy, is that in Christ we have everything we need, but he will sell us that lie again and again. Oh, God's not enough. What you have isn't enough. You will always need that one thing you, you suspect is being held back from you. And so the lie works on the one level because he tells her a lie about herself that isn't true but feels true to her. And she begins to suspect somebody's pulling one over on me. He also lies to her at another level. The second level of the lies, he lies to her about God. And the lie he tells her about God is this. God is not as generous and as nice as you think. I know you think this God is so great, but you know what? He's actually kind of insecure. He's actually a little greedy. There's something really great in this garden that he wants only for himself. And if you have it, you're going to be just like him, and he can't have that. And so he has told you not to touch it. In other words, she had a great relationship with God and a lie entered the picture and she began to suspect maybe this God who I thought was always with me and for me is actually against me. Maybe he comes with a smiling face, but he holds a dagger behind his back. When we start believing lies about God, it leads us to all kinds of trouble because those lies about God are very easy to believe in a world so full of darkness and pain, where some days God seems very far away. It's one of the most effective ways that God's enemy drives a wedge between us and our Savior. I wonder if some of us are like Eve this morning. I mean, Rachel confessed in her testimony that there was a lie she believed that would have robbed her of an experience of supernatural healing. The lie she believed that God just doesn't heal, and if he does heal today, it's through speakers, celebrity pastors, men with seminary degrees, not my husband. Come on. And remember what Dr. Walborn said? Raise your hand if you want prayer for healing, and as soon as you feel someone's hand on you, put your hand down. The reason he said it is he wanted people not to hold out and go, no, no, not you. I'm waiting for the big dogs. So he wanted the minute someone was praying for you to put your hand down in faith, acknowledging that whoever laid their hands on you, that's who God's going to use. So I understand Rachel's heart. Oh, I wasted it. I should have said, I should have said, honey, can you go get me some water? And then I should have raised my hand, right? I wonder if we're believing some lies And those lies we've believed put a great distance between us and God and between us and the people that we love the most in this world. Now, I'm not going to sit here and rehearse every kind of lie there is, but I want to give you some examples of lies we commonly believe. And then I want to give us a little time at the end of this to respond to God and deeply reflect on whether we ourselves, sitting in our chairs, find that we believe some lies that have robbed us of something rich that God wants for us. I wonder if some of you, some of us, have believed the lies that people try to put on us when we were younger. Labels. And a lot of these horrible, life-draining labels are thrown at us in our childhood, and sometimes even by our own families. 
I wonder if you've heard words all your life like loser, stupid, idiot, incompetent, lazy, worthless. You'll never change. What's wrong with you? You're the bad kid in this family. You're the troublemaker. Now, I'm not saying you never deserve to hear those words. A lot of the stuff we do is pretty stupid. And it may describe accurately in the moment something we did. Now, here's someone you're not going to hear me quote that often. But there's a motivational speaker named Zig Ziglar. (laughs) This might be the only time you hear me quote him, but he said something profound. He said, we have to remember that failure is an event, not a person. I want you to sit and think about that for a second. Failure is an event, not a person. People fail, but people are not failures, not while there is a God who redeems. You can choose to cling to a failure as a life pattern, a life path, and finish your life as a failure if that's what you choose. But people don't become failures by default. Failure is an event. It's a decision we make, an act of weakness, stupidity, rebellion, pride, But in every failure, there is a second chance, a pathway to hope and redemption because Jesus rose from the grave and he lives. That's something so important to remember. These labels people placed on you were in response to an event in your life, something you did. But in those labels, the enemy tried to make that the full truth about you. A label that described and defined you in your totality and it's just not true. I've lost. I've done worthless things. I've been lazy and incompetent, stupid. I've been really stupid. Just ask my brother and my parents. Not even a little, really stupid. I've been in seasons where I thought I will never change because the same dumb thing I do over and over and over. Have you been there? You're so sick of yourself, you can't even raise the desire to repent, you're like, no, what is wrong with me? And yet, because Jesus lives, because he has power to change us, we cannot be bound by those labels. That's a lie that that's all you'll ever be, that you'll never change. Look at the word of God. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone And a new life has begun. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Is whatever wanted to hold you down and define you in your brokenness and failure. As long as Jesus lives, this is our story and this is our hope. It's why we bother. It's why we continue to work and to serve among those who are broken. Because we believe that God always has a better story for those who will cling to him. Amen. You guys are allowed to say amen out loud if you agree. All right? It's, it's not bad etiquette. I would be so encouraged. Listen, maybe you've also believed the lie that something you've done is beyond forgiveness. I've been there too. I know a lot of us have. Where, and, and I've had people say this to me at our church and at many churches when I travel abroad. I know you're preaching this message of forgiveness, but you don't know what I've done. If you knew what I did, I think you'd change your story. I'm not 
these other people in this room. I look around and I see all these tidy, well-to-do, fairly normal people. I don't belong here. You don't know what I've seen and done. What I've thought in my wicked head. I know what that feels like. I know many of you know exactly what that feels like. But that is a lie. And if you believe that lie, you will carry around this boulder-like weight of shame and guilt and defeat all your life not knowing that that lie is robbing you from freedom. That you could cast it off and finally be free of all of your past. I love what Paul says in his letter to Titus. Referring to Jesus, Paul says, He gave his life to free us from what? Every kind of sin. That's a very sweeping statement. Every kind of sin. There is nothing not covered by that promise of hope. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people. Not only does he release us, he gives us a whole new purpose in our lives. He makes us totally committed to belonging to God and to doing good deeds. He doesn't just wash away the stain. He makes us shine. He turns what is filthy into something beautiful and good. Out of ashes comes beauty. Out of pain comes nobility and kindness and goodness. That's the God that we worship. And we'll never break the chains of these lies unless we gaze at Jesus and realize that because he lives and because he's extended these promises to us, the lies don't have to hold us back. Maybe you've believed a lie about God. Maybe you've believed, for example, the lie that God doesn't love me. Or maybe this is your version of that lie. God is loving. He just loves everyone else a little better than he loves me. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been struggling and yearning and waiting and wanting And you look around and everybody else gets what you want so easily and they're not even thankful. So many examples of this in our lives. I'm not going to go through them, but you know what I'm talking about. Where what you just so desperately yearn for, everyone else just gets. And you think to yourself, how come God loves those people so well? And it's so hard for me. And in that moment... It's very tempting to believe the lie that God is not really loving equally to all his children. That maybe he is loving, but just not loving to me. And I love these words in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, a church he loved very much. I want to speak these words to you as a blessing of freedom if you're struggling with the lie that God doesn't care about you. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Do you see how much power a lie can hold to separate you from someone you love? 
That lie goes up like a wall between you. And here's the most frustrating part about those lies, especially the one that took place between the snake and Eve in the Garden of Eden. For Eve, this is so frustrating for me, the source of truth was always right in front of her the whole time. All she had to do in the middle of that conversation was go, time out, time out. Hey, God, is this snake telling me the truth? I got this snake down here telling me that the reason you don't want me to eat that fruit is because I'm going to be just like you, and you're afraid of that. Is that true? She could have asked him, and he would have told her the truth, and he would have looked in her eyes, and she would have known the truth and believed But you know what it says in verse 6? Oh, but in that moment, Eve did not look to the source of truth. She looked at the things she really did want. She looked at that fruit that was forbidden, and she said it was beautiful and looked delicious to eat. And because she wanted it, she didn't ask the source of truth. You know how when you want something and you're cooler parent says yes and they go but just double check with your less cool parent you ask your yes parent and they go yes and you go no go ask, ask your no parent you're like eh, no i'm just gonna take your word for it when we want something we don't want to risk asking a person who might counter it because we're seduced it's the way it is when You're trying to to date somebody, and everyone you care about goes, please, no, no, not him, not her. Run away. The wrong, worst possible person. And you're like, "Uh uh-uh, they're awesome. And everyone who cares about you is going, no, SOS, red alert. And you say, well, I'm not listening to any of you haters. Yeah, they're haters. They're the only people who have loved you all your life, but suddenly they're the haters because they don't want to give you what you want more than anything. That's the power of a lie. The lie hooks into our desire to be hooked. Lies work because in the end, we actually want to be seduced. Lies wouldn't work otherwise, would they? And so I'm going to give you some time now. And during the dismissal of the seeds, children, you should have received an index card and a pen. And what I'm going to ask you to do in the next five minutes is to, and I'm going to invite the, the worship team, if you want to sit and, and write something down, you can do that. But in, in a couple minutes, I'm going to ask you to come make your way back up here. And I'm going to ask you to think about a lie that you might be believing. And start by quiet listening. Because I think the Lord in this moment wants to set some of you free. And if nothing comes to you, I don't want to insist that every person is believing a lie. Some of you are walking in truth, just, mm, got no problems. That's great. But if you suspect that maybe you're deluding yourself, think about stuff that people you care about have been saying to you that you just don't want to hear. Think about recent conversations where someone who has shown nothing but love to you has said things you're like, nah, I don't want to hear that. When someone says to you, you might be addicted to that thing. Oh, you, don't, you just don't know anything. You're stupid. No, I really think you might be addicted to that thing. 
I think you're making a big mistake, sweetie. I think you have some trouble coming for you. And you don't want to hear it. You push it away. Start there if you have nothing coming to you. Because that may show you one of the lies that you're believing. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes. And in prayerful reflection, if there is a lie that you're believing that you want to be free of, I want to ask you to write that lie down. Okay? Let's just take a minute. Write it down. Really listen for the voice of the Lord. Those lies are costing you a great deal. Listen. This past week, I spent six days on an island, a literal island, with 21 world-class younger leaders. And throughout the week, one of the things we're pushing for is to free them up from some of these lies they've believed as Christian leaders. And I was astounded at the power of watching them write down and declare aloud these lies and say, I reject this lie. I will not let it hold me back anymore. I hate what it's robbed from me. I reject it. And one, one of the, the great moments at this thing that I was at, they wrote this thing down that they want to reject and leave behind. And there was a wood stove And they just walk one by one, declaring out loud in front of everyone and then throwing it into the fire. And as I watched the fire consume those sheets of paper, it was really stirring my heart to watch people get set free and finally begin really running in freedom. So as you have been given something, a lie, as God has revealed this to you, I want to ask you, and if you have... Uh, if, you're, if you're comfortable doing this, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud saying, God, I reject the lie that. And just whatever it is you wrote, and then you say, God, I reject the lie that, whatever. And I ask you to set me free. And if you're not comfortable speaking it out loud, that's okay. You can pray it quietly. But I want to give you just a minute now because it's not enough to write it. We're not New Agers. That doesn't have some symbolic power. It's just a gesture. It is in this uttering and confession that God begins the real work. So with your own lips, in your own heart, reject that lie. Renounce it. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that right now. Now some of you, this thing you've written down is so poisonous. It has cost you so much All you can think about is, and I just remember one leader at this program I was at said, can I go first? I can't wait to get rid of this thing. I love that heart. He just says, I'm so sick of this. And he ran to that fire and threw it in. And some of you may need to do something really decisive like that. And so we have set up in the back over by the welcome table, there's a paper shredder. And if it helps you to just watch this thing get shredded up on your way out, you just feel free to feed that thing and then watch it get cut up into pieces and say, I am done with this lie. I'm done with it. And then I want to ask you to take a further step of faith because this is where the community of God begins to partner with you. I want you to tell someone you trust that I renounced a lie that has cost me so much. And I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to ask me from time to time, are you still living free of that lie? Are you clinging to Jesus for freedom and power against that lie? Because that lie is not true of you 
ever again. Tell someone who's shown that they love you. And for many of you, it's going to be someone in your family who has prayed for you, has shown love and care and faithfulness to you. Trust them, lean into them, and say, I want to tell you what happened today at church. I rejected this lie, and I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable and pray for me. And then this is a very important step, and I want to ask you, some of you who don't want to shred your paper but need it as a reminder of the lie that you reject, find a Bible verse that contains a truth that cancels that lie. The Bible is so full of wonderful truth, and I think it's really important we memorize those verses. Find a verse that speaks truth, that cancels the lie that has stolen so much from you. And if you want, even on the flip side of that index card, you could write out that verse and memorize it. Because as we store God's truth, that truth does battle even when we're sleeping. And it sets us free from these lies that take everything from us. Now, here's what I'm going to say just candidly, and I'm going to hand it over to the praise team. When we do exercises of response like this, there's always two kinds of people in every room. One kind just follows along and does it, and the other kind goes, I'll figure all this out later on my own terms. Just, I'm not into the whole group sort of thing. And I get that. I respect it. But I want you to know, over my many years of ministry, one consistent pattern that I've seen between those who grow spiritually and those who don't is that those who grow spiritually do not miss. They make the most of the moments where the Holy Spirit is inviting them to engage with Him. I believe this is one of those moments for you. And if you've been believing a lie, this is the moment. And there will be power in this moment as we're together in Jesus' name to be set free from those lies. Just because your life is admirable and respected by many does not mean you're free of lies. Some of the greatest lives are built with lies woven through. Lies that my only worth is in my performance. If I accomplish only small things, I will have not lived a worthy life. I am what I accomplish, not who I am in Jesus. And on and on it goes. There are so many lies we believe. Be free. Be free. Take advantage of this moment to reject the lies that are stealing your life. If you still have work to do with the Lord, I'm going to invite you to stay right where you are and keep going. For those who are ready to do so, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to invite the team to lead us in closing worship. God, this is a holy moment. For some in this room, the lies we've believed have robbed us of so many years of richness and fullness of life. We have worn a scowl on our face permanently. We have smiled and laughed so little. We have felt empty for years and years. You have felt far and we have been estranged from others. But today we say no more. We want to be free of those lies and reconcile to you and to the people around us. So Holy Spirit, come 
and seal the work you've done. Set us free. Put to death the lies of the enemy and set us free with your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.